first of all, I, I think what's most important is just getting out of your own way. If you can figure out all the little ways that you are in your own way, your habits or the way you waste your time, et cetera, and kind of clear that sort of thing up, what I have discovered is that the universe is always working for you. The only reason it ever feels like it's not is because of something, some hurdle that you have probably placed there yourself. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Wealth of time, wealth of impact, wealth of family and relationships, and financial wealth. True wealth is what I'm really all about because this podcast is for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets. And this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from being a poor boy, born to a single mother in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and courage, to a European Ivy League business graduate with a great job. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% today and on this podcast. I'm privileged to interview hundreds of amazing people from members of the Forbes Technology Council, Google executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn executives, to Financial Times reporters, and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, to the Vatican Church, even congressional candidates and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world, all are welcome here. And thank you all so much for the support. This podcast is now ranking nicely on Apple in the entrepreneurship category. Top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 100 in Singapore, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in Canada, top 50 in the United Kingdom, and top in many, many other countries. So please share this podcast with one new person today, because when they will listen to this podcast, they'll be in very good hands. And if you are interested in my business mentoring or podcast consulting services, send me an email to mentor at storybonding.com, M-E-N-T-O-R at storybonding.com. Why do I say this here? Because when my children will be born, they deserve to have a good life, not the same hard life I had. Now, let's begin. My guest today is Greg Zen. Greg is a US Navy veteran, and an on-deck fellow and 3XY Combinator SUS alumnus and mentor, a stage four survivor, a biohacker, a serial entrepreneur since the 90s, and he spent 10 years as a startup advisor. Now, he is also the CEO at Startup Heroics. Startup Heroics provides clarity, 
for startup founders with step-by-step -step guidance, actionable resources, original content, community, and one-on-one -on -one mentor engagement with experienced industry leaders. Greg, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me, Abdulaziz. This is going to be so brilliant. And I will begin with my most favorite new question, which is this, Greg, these days, this period, what seems to be the thoughts that keep returning to your mind, something that's truly meaningful, or you're trying to change or improve or an impact in the world that really is persistent in your thoughts? That's a very good question. I find it really just comes down to having a strong sense of why, and that why kind of echoes or reverberates through everything that I do all day and every day. Again, that's one of those things that comes from my experience as a survivor, but my why is to serve the future of humanity as best as I can, and I feel that I'm really inspired and lucky to have this opportunity to do so by empowering other change makers. Okay, this is great. And I have to make it more specific because since I love language and in linguistics, that is a conceptualization, which is to impact the future of humanity. Well, impact is just to make clear what I mean. You cannot have like one meter of impact or you cannot have three pounds of future <laughs> and you cannot have three tons of humanity. So they're all concepts. What specifically is the impact that is most meaningful to you? What worries you about the future? And what kind of humanity, because you said founders, what specifically about founders makes them representative of the humanity that you'd like to impact? Perfect. So what I believe sincerely, and I, I think that this has been predicted since at least the days of the great philosophers, um, the great Greek and Roman philosophers, that entrepreneurs are the tip of the spear, moving humanity forward. And today, entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes. A lot of people don't even know what an entrepreneur is, but they are one. Whether you're a maker a creator, or a change maker of some sort. What I find is that the path is not so clear for those people. You have really great training programs like Y Combinator or now on deck or Techstars, these places for tech especially. But they're not necessarily giving you a very clear path for your specific uh, goals. On deck more than any of them, obviously, because they come up with these new verticals all the time. But if you are looking to become a podcaster, there might be some information out there, but not exactly a program. If you're looking to become an uh, independent bootstrap SaaS entrepreneur, there isn't exactly a clear path for that. So I feel like making that path clear for people is how I can best affect a much larger group of people that is in turn affecting the outcomes of humanity moving forward. Thank you. And one, I'd like to add that the French have a definition of the entrepreneur or entrepreneur, which is any person who takes resources 
from a lower state of profitability to a higher state of profitability, they are entrepreneurs. So even this time that we're spending together, compared to spending it watching Netflix, we are being entrepreneurs by making this hour more profitable. So like you said, a lot of people don't realize they are entrepreneurs. And if I understood you correctly, it's entrepreneurs are the spear heads that move uh, humanity forward. And therefore, each entrepreneur that you impact, you know that they will impact their communities, clients, and people who are associated with them. And those will impact others. And that will drag and move the future, the community, the society into that more positive direction. Is this a fair understanding? Yes, I believe it is. I think that right now humanity has experienced so much freedoms that we've come to what I I like to think of as the teenage years of humanity. And it's time for a little bit of course correction because things are getting a little out of control. And there's a lot of different examples of that from civics to the environment. And so I think a lot of people know that there are problems and a lot of people want to solve those problems or at least make an effort at it. But where the problem really lies is if you do go out there and you try to solve some of these problems, there's a really good chance that you're going to fail because you don't have really clear path in front of you. I still think it's worth, however, taking the time to clear that up for people and to help as many of those entrepreneurs as possible. I think of a, a quote, one of my favorite people to quote, Bruce Lee, the martial artist. He said, knowing is not enough. We must apply. Willing is not enough. We must do. And so for me, all I'm trying to do is make it easier for those who are wanting to be that change uh, or want to make that effect on the world now and tomorrow. Thank you. And I'm going to move this into another related direction, because if people will hear, they will think that what is happening is there are people taking a lot of action and they are failing. And that is correct. But the reality that I find, which is a lot of people are in a paralysis of analysis where they don't even begin to take the action. They're trying to think, to learn to collect facts and figures and thoughts, trying to lay the path before they begin. And they end up not beginning because they never feel ready. Because this is my own belief, and it's backed up by some science, that the more you train yourself to wait in order to begin someday, the stronger those neurons will be in your brain. And therefore, even when you arrive to what you decided, your brain will think, well, it's so easy. I'm so used to waiting for that other day. I will extend that uh, line to the future more and more, and they never begin. Well, in reality, if they train themselves to do two things, yes, learn, of course, and there are great people that can help you and that can show you the path. But I would even say for every one hour of learning, do two hours of action. I love failure, not because I love failure or rejection, but for example, if I don't get rejected by noon every day, I'm not taking enough action, which is this. Life 
there is a difference between what you imagine life would be when you learn and between taking real action. I find that when I spent, and I spent many years, many, many years of my life trying to be ready, trying to be ready, but never felt ready. There is always more to learn, more nuances, more shiny objects. And when you feel you learned and you apply, it's like the other uh, philosopher that we love and cherish very uh, very much, Mike Tyson, he said, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. Well, what you imagine is the path that when you don't have experience and you're not learning from people with experience, it's totally wrong. When you try it, it's totally a different thing to the map. The map is not the territory you will find. So take action while you learn. Can you comment on this since you have a lot of thoughts and wisdom about that? Absolutely. Um, I, I can say that I have long been on the wrong side of that equation, where instead of building products a lot like we are today, and then releasing them quickly, and then iterating quickly, I would be building a company and be in stealth for a very long time. And there's some incredibly hard lessons to be found when you do it that way, uh, especially if you don't do very serious customer development beforehand. And this is where I personally think that the the no-code movement is in its nascent early days and definitely needs to be focused in the right direction. It's easy to build quickly, but while that builds your building muscles, it doesn't necessarily address customer problems. Instead of falling in love with the solutions, we need to focus more on the problems. And that does take talking to some customers. Now, this doesn't have to be some really big blown up user research program that costs tens of thousands or more. There's very simple uh, lo-fi or uh, small amount approaches to doing this that fit very nicely in the no-code world as well. But yes, I do agree with you that it is very easy to get caught up in the analysis paralysis or um, working on something for a long time without discussing it with people and then never releasing it or just releasing something that people don't want. And then you retreat. You either feel like a failure and don't do it anymore, or you're kind of brokenhearted because you thought this was the thing that everybody wanted. Uh, it definitely pays to talk to people and find out not only what their problems are, but whether or not it's even feasible for you to solve that problem uh, and whether or not they're willing to pay for it. Sometimes we find ourselves building problems or building solutions to problems that uh, people aren't just going to switch because the way they're doing it is free. Or maybe they just like the way that they're doing it and nobody ever asked. So yeah, these things are very, very important when it comes to developing products. Uh, and no-code just makes that a little bit faster and easier. But nonetheless, we, we still should be paying attention to the customer's actual needs. I agree with you more than you can imagine. And that is funny, but so true that there are many people are building their building muscle and they're atrophying everything else. And the way I think about it, because you mentioned something absolutely critical. Yes, you can even solve a problem, but people won't be willing to pay for it. Because the way I think about it, I imagine it like a ladder where people, they have a budget, how much they earn, and the highest priority will get the biggest chunk of the money, and then the second, the third. And when they run out of money, they won't spend any more on those lower priority problems. 
And if you come with a lower priority, a great solution to a lower priority problem, well, even if they wanted to, their money is going to a higher priority, more urgent problem. And therefore, they won't have money to give you no matter how much they love you or how great you are. And many people even think there is this smarter idea that I believe is undercover and sneakily playing around that people think, oh, if I spend like a thousand hours creating a great product, then people will notice and they will buy. And that is not the true true place where value comes from. Value is a high priority problem that you can solve for people. And if you can solve it in one second, or it took you a billion years to solve it, they don't care that much as long as you give them the solution. And I will tell you this, imagine someone came and they had an accident and they're almost gonna die. Do they care if you spend in operation in the operation room like a thousand hours to fix them or if you had the magic wand to fix them directly they want to survive they don't care how long it takes you but if you're spending a billion hours trying to solve a problem just because you spend that precious lifetime and hours of your life doing it doesn't necessarily mean you will get paid for it absolutely i think that this is really good reflection um, or at least one thing that could be reflected upon with the, the build in public movement, which my friend KP, who's the director of the first no code fellowship over at on deck, he, he's the build in public guy. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't really built my build in public muscle. Um, and, and there's some really great tools like micro brave is amazing thing that just came out of on deck for building in public. I think that you can get some false signals, though, when you do this. And it's not always going to be the case. It could very much be the the ramp up that you need. But in some cases, you're going to have a lot of your, your fans, if you will, or people that follow you on Twitter who are giving you some positive reinforcement as you're going along and you're talking about this build that you're doing. Which, by the way, I love how uh, Marcus from Ventures and put this. You should be building your venture in public, not your product. You don't need to give away all the details of your product. That should help with some people. But nonetheless, what ends up happening is you have this false sense of buildup to the launch. And it doesn't really change things much, except for maybe your launch gets a little bit more attention than it would have had you not done that. And maybe you do end up with a few more customers after that launch. But if you're not really solving a problem that existed in the customer's mind in the first place and doesn't require them to have a major psychological change to start using your product instead of the one that they were using, then what's going to end up happening is you might have a really beautiful launch but it's going to crash after that launch, just like everybody else's. So you, you may have a great launch day, but then two weeks later, you're, you're stagnant. You're plateauing on your sales and you can't figure out why. And if you didn't spend all that time beforehand learning growth, what, what are you going to do? Unfortunately, what happens here for most builders is they just go back to the drawing board and build another product. And you can keep doing this over and over and over again, these spaghetti startups, as I call them. And one day, one of them might be a base hit or even better. Someone might come along and say, I want to buy that from you. And we've seen some people who have become kind of heroes of that over the last few years. 
And I think, unfortunately, it influences people in the wrong direction, makes them think that, yeah, I can do that too. I could just build, you know, 12 months of no code or 12 months of code, whatever, and just keep pumping out these launches until one of these is going to catch a big fish. This is gambling. This is not a formula for success. I obviously am a little bit more leaning towards the formulaic approach using tools like, say, the Lean Canvas or the Startup Canvas and breaking down all of your assumptions to begin with and then testing and validating those assumptions. These things do not have to take a lot of time, but a lot of people are now of the mindset, well, I don't need to do all that. I could just build it over the weekend and then put it out there and see what happens. Unfortunately, that freshman attitude is just making a sea of useless apps and building up this hype to people that makes them think that they're going to be able to you know, do it as well. But at the same time, I encourage it only because it encourages other people to get into this. Like, Go ahead, try and learn how to build products because some of those people are going to make some really revolutionary stuff. But I could go on all day about that. <laughs> Thank you. And I heard really wonderful things from the Lean Canvas, which is even older. As Peter Drucker mentioned, he said, business really is about surviving your wrong first assumptions long enough to correct them before you run out of money. So it's an idea that we all have to make an assumption when we begin. Often many of it is wrong, but we shouldn't keep those wrong assumptions. We should be systematically testing them to find what is right and replace what is wrong with something that is more effective and more useful, as well as you mentioning the people who keep on launching product after product looking for a big fish. And you said the formulaic approach is much better, or as I would say, luck is not a real business strategy. No. It's not like, okay, I'll make money. How? I'll get lucky. That doesn't really work or it won't work long enough, it might work once or twice, and then it becomes gambling, as you said, and very importantly, really, what is the essence of marketing? Because, okay, I will tell you this story, and I actually wrote a poem on, on Quora about this. I got like my post recommended to a million people, but I thought, you know, I was bored that day and I wanted to write something, so I wrote a poem about marketing. But the essence of this, it's an old adage, but it's very true. Look, you are not your customers. If you were, they would be entrepreneurs too, and they will be building in public next to you as well. So you're not them. And imagine this, you're a person and you love strawberry cake and it's delicious and you eat it and you love it, but you're going to fish on a fishing expedition. Do you put worms on your hook or do you put strawberry cake? Well, your customers, they want the worm, the worms. You can spend all day making the most delicious strawberry cake. They won't eat it. They will ignore it. They will go to find something that they're interested in. And therefore, spending all your time in the kitchen building cakes to give to fish it's a useless strategy, and that's what people are doing. They're building cake after cake after cake until maybe by luck one time they run out of ingredients and put some worms in there, and they see that a big fish comes to eat it. And they're like, wow, this works. This is so amazing. But they don't realize that you should go study your 
fish know what kind of worm they want and give them the most tasty, delicious, biggest, juicy worm they can. And therefore, they will give you the money to buy yourself all the strawberry cakes you wish for. That's my metaphor. What are your thoughts on this? And did this trigger any new thoughts? Absolutely. That was a fun story. Um, and it, it did trigger one funny thought is there's kind of like this middle ground. I don't think it fits well in the analogy, but as a kid, I remember a lot of us, maybe if you couldn't get access to worms or if you didn't have a good lure, you might use some uh, cold hot dog bits right out of the fridge. And for some reason that would catch fish. But that <laughs> that's regardless. Um, when it comes to marketing, <clears throat> I think that there's a lot of things that you, you could talk about. But most specifically for the early stage folks, I think it's important to know that there's just very clear differences in certain areas. You have to understand what is branding, what is positioning, and what is marketing and a basic level before you start jumping into it. Because it's very easy to just think that like, say, branding is your your colors, or as a friend recently said, oh, that's the art department. No, your brand is how people feel about you. That's very, very important. So uh, your positioning is also super duper important, especially if you have competitors. And so it's, it's very worthwhile to look into positioning. I highly recommend a book called Obviously Awesome by April Dunford on that matter. And then marketing in general is really about, in one form or another, it's about telling a story. Uh, some would say a narrative even. But at the end of the day, I think what's really the most important part of that story is that you have to understand you as the, the person who is the creator of this product or your product, you're not the hero. You're trying to tell a story where the, you're helping the customer become their own hero. And the essence of that journey, whether you're telling them initially why they should buy your product and what it's going to do for them, or you're just onboarding them, is essentially you're painting a story to them of, imagine this, it's, it's this river that you're fishing at, right? Okay, well, you're fishing at this river on the bank, and then you see your friend on the other side of the river. Well, you want your friend to come over and hang out with you. But your friend's a little scared of walking across this river because he just doesn't do that. But you know it's a shallow river, and you know that there's rocks in between you and him. So the story here is you're describing to your friend how to get from there to you and exactly step by step which rock to step on, etc. And if you can paint that story in a compelling way, like a, a Hollywood movie kind of approach – then you are more likely to be able to get people's attention fairly quickly and be able to get in their mind that they um, have that problem that you're describing and that the, the path to that solution is very reasonable, it's clear to them, and that the solution sounds like something that they're absolutely willing to pay money for. Uh, another author I can cite that might be helpful for some of these folks would be uh, Donald Miller has written a few books that are very useful on this subject. Um, including his original, I think it was, it's called Building a Story Brand. Um, and, and that can help you get the idea of how to write those types of stories. I think that understanding marketing is super duper important and, and not enough people are giving it credit. Um, and it's only going to get worse because we have these really neat tools like copy.ai that have come out where now maybe you don't need to 
purchase uh, some time with a copywriter. You can just try your hand at that and see if it will work for you. Again, I highly suggest anyone who's going to use that type of tool, please try to do some A-B testing. Don't just assume that the language that it gives you is going to work. Um, but again, marketing is a pretty big subject. I could go on for a long time. I was the executive creative director of a uh, major marketing and design firm out of Chicago for a long time. And so it, it's a field that I have a lot to say about. Thank you very much. And it's true. I have over, I don't know, like 20 or whatever, maybe 15 episodes that are called Marketing Makeover, where I helped people find that narrative and I take them step by step for their marketing narrative. And since we're speaking about stories, it's wonderful. I have an episode where I say that marketing is a meta story and the insight is this. Actually, yes, you said the story should be compelling like a Hollywood movie and you show them step by step each of the stones that will step on to cross the bridge. But even more, people are conditioned subconsciously that every story has a happy ending. So if you begin a story where they are the hero with you, they will automatically assume that there is a happy ending and therefore hope will be ignited within them and they will believe in the potential and the possibility for what they do. And I used to speak about this a lot with Joe Schrieffer from Agora Financial, who is the head publisher. He's a really awesome guy. I interviewed him previously here as well. So to you, you said marketing is very important. I had the CEO of Jetpack who came here as well. And he said, it's all about growth, man. If you have one product that has legs, as he said, focus all your time on the growth. And with one product, you can achieve financial freedom and leave your day job, etc., and have everything that you wish. You don't need to keep grinding and making like six or 12 every uh, new projects or products every year. Rather, find what works, create a product for that, and then grow, grow, grow. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that um, there's there's two different camps of, on this one. Um, I personally have done both serial and parallel entrepreneurship. So I've had more than one business at a time. And that's really kind of just more what I want to do or be involved in uh, than it is a financial stake in things. But I know that some people like to diversify and like to have multiple products out there. And that's that's fine. I don't have anything against that. Um, I, I think putting a lot of effort or doubling down, if you will, on the things that are working well for you is a good idea as well. I think probably one of the most important things to keep in mind, especially if you're just starting out on your first entrepreneurial journey, is this. Most entrepreneurs or founders or builders tend to, on the very first try, focus on the product. Your second time around, maybe third time, the successful founders out there are focusing on distribution. That's crucial. So if you can figure out how to distribute very successfully and you know that you've got that down, that's the first place to start for most people. The other thing about this is figuring out whether it's your marketing language or building that product in such a way or even in the way you distribute it 
how to do it in a way that's sort of uniquely you. Uh, again, I'm going to go ahead and quote Bruce Lee, of all people. Absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. I find that to be a recipe for uh, improving your odds of success, for sure. Thank I hope you. that answered your question. And now I have a deeper question, because there is a deeper assumption here. If you look at life, at life as a probabilistic chaos theory way where we're dealing with uncertainty, our brain is seeing patterns that don't exist in reality. Well, how can people know reality if their brain is a meaning-making machine that if you're looking for a formula, you, how do we know that that formula works? Because scientifically, if something works 10 times out of 11, that is not uh, good that's only a correlation that's not a causation and therefore that cannot be considered scientific and i hope this really really heavy question is there because what you are mentioning will make people assume that there is a formula that if you follow a b c and d your chances of success are 100 percent, or if you do a b and c and d your chances of success are 95% or whatever. But the reality is this. Look, there are many roads. And I know you spoke about the road that will get people to success. In reality, each one of us, based on our skills, our strengths, our backgrounds, our knowledge, we can create a road that maximizes our use of our strengths. And that's really the best that we can do is to put the uh, chips in our favor, the cards in our favor, and to load our deck as much as possible. And then we play based on the hands that we are dealt, maximizing every move. But in reality, we cannot play someone else's hand because we don't have their strength, we don't have their path, we don't have their knowledge. And therefore, yes, it's very important to do those things to maximize our ability to succeed. But even deeper, each one of us have their own unique personalized advice, as you mentioned early on, that maximizes our own unique ability to succeed rather than following the larger pattern that on average is successful. But we're not average because each one of us is an individual. Can you comment on this, especially you mentioned at the beginning, you said if someone wants to be a podcaster, they should be given by some expert or by someone who knows the right path that is individually perfect for them. Or in other places, you said on deck does it more than others. Please comment on this. So there's a couple of different things to talk about there. One of them is simply that the the world of startup education is still kind of a mess. And so while there are a variety of programs out there, most of them, like let's say Y Combinator, are oriented at giving you some of the high level, um, but very detailed uh, thinking on a variety of things that are useful as you're going to move on into the venture track. So these are things like metrics and you know what, what, what's gonna be useful in front of the investors. 
but that's not telling you anything about how to build uh, XYZ. So those specific paths, you have to go out there and kind of find your own way. Pick up this book, read this article, etc. It's it's chaos. And so what I originally had set out to do with Startup Heroics was build an academy where they were very specific tracks for each of these different things. Now, this is a major undertaking. Content-wise, it's a little bit more than we can handle at this point. But nonetheless, that's something that I'm looking forward to is seeing a lot more clear, uh, clear paths for each of those individual um, approaches. I do agree with you that there is a certain amount of individualization that needs to go into this. And so this kind of lends into the mentor question. There's a lot of this conversation going on. I advise a few startups in this space. And there is no really one perfect way to do mentorship or to pursue it. There are some mentors who are a part of programs that are going to give you very specific advice, and it's going to be the same from every single instructor or mentor from that program. There are others that are going to give you their experiences. And some of that's valuable. Some of it's less valuable. It's a little tricky right there. Uh, there's even AI mentors that are coming along now. That's questionable as well. But I, I do agree that there should be some sense of individualism where we can kind of cater to the, the, the person's need. And this actually gets to the heart of what I think is probably the most important thing that people should start off with. Before you think about the product you want to serve or anything else, you need to think about what I call finding founder fit first. And that's really, I think it starts with figuring out who do you feel comfortable serving for an extended period of time? Don't just pick up you know, an interesting group of people that might pay you a lot of money because at two o'clock in the morning when you're answering a customer service call and they're irate with you, are you going to be passionate about helping those people? I think that's one of the first places figuring out like what your lifestyle is going to look like. Do you want a venture track lifestyle? We get sold this idea that startups and venture capital are the synonymous and that you have to go to YC and you have to get a, a VC deal after that. And that's all just nonsense. It's useful for some people, but the vast majority of people are not going to uh, be able to even get that. Less than 5% of the startups every year get venture capital. It's actually probably really less than 1% if you think about statistics for a minute. But the, the individual paths and the flexibility part where you started there, I do agree with you that, yeah, we – we create these illusions of a very fixed path in front of us. And this is part of why we struggle as humans is because we don't understand the fluidity of life. It's more like being a fish in a river, if you will. And the currents move us around and we just don't necessarily always see those currents. Uh, sometimes they're present. You know, you, you see the, the social climate or what's going on in politics. And so you kind of understand why things are moving in a certain way. Other times it just feels like there's hurdle after hurdle after hurdle being thrown at you and you may find yourself getting depressed or frustrated. But if you tend to look at life from the lens of, first of all, I, I think what's most important is just getting out of your own way. If you can figure out all the little ways that you are in your own way, your habits or the way you waste your time, etc., and kind of clear that sort of thing up. What I have discovered is that the universe is always working for you. The only reason it ever feels like it's not is because of something, some hurdle that you have probably placed there yourself. Now, in some cases, yes, people have external 
uh, influences that are a little hard to determine. Maybe it's a regional thing. Maybe it's in your household. Um, but there are, generally speaking, if you're aware of it, ways to get around these things. I do agree that there isn't necessarily a single way to be 100% successful, but there's definitely a way to build your toolbox or your tool belt and use a variety of tools, systems, methods, etc., that will guide you to more likely success. Nothing is going to guarantee it, but the better prepared you are in some ways, uh, the more likely you are to succeed. That being said, yes, I agree with what you said earlier. It is true that many of us will often try to be overprepared and we'll just continue to read the next book, the next article, watch the next po uh, podcast or listen to it, hoping that that's going to be that extra bit of nugget of information that really prepares us for game day when we really should be just going ahead and trying to put something out there in front of people or at least talking to people and saying, hey, is this working for you or how can I help you, etc." How can you serve others uh, in the most meaningful way? If you have something to that effect as your why, you'll begin to be able to find ways to remove all of those barriers to having the universe just very clearly working for you. I like what you're saying there. It sounds metaphysical and it reminds me of Goethe who said when we fully commit, it's a, it feels and it will seem like the universe will conspire to help us reach in our goals. And you're mentioning that as long as we put, don't put barriers and we don't get in our way, we will get that on our side as well as a funny quote that I was once speaking to a serial entrepreneur who was successful. And he said, look, your first venture is for the VCs. Then you'll have a name. And then your second venture, that's when you become rich. So people think they will get that VC fund money and they will get all their problems solved and they will get rich. But in reality, they are getting an even more difficult job, basically, where they will have to satisfy the VCs. And yeah, you have a boss at that point. Yes, both. You have a boss and they will make much more money than you. <laughs> like it's a double uh, thing. So your second that's, venture. That's what I was talking about when I said finding founder fit first. Uh, one of those elements is if you are getting into this because you want to be your own boss, then you really seriously need to reconsider the idea of getting investors because most of them are going to become your bosses. 1000% and it's a worse boss because you cannot just quit or anything. Right. You're stuck there. You In can, fact, you could even say that they're, they're your owners. Yes, because even an employee, they can clock off at the end of the day and do nothing. But if you're a founder, well, you can't because otherwise you'll go bankrupt. It's like too much at risk and you have a, an owner, like you said, that will be whipping you. I, I remember this is another uh, thing. It's from a book called, I think, How to Get Rich. But this guy, what happened? He was an investor in his friend's firm and his friend got a private equity deal that they will go IPO his company and they were in their 30s. And he said his friend, who was the CEO and founder, was working so hard that in, after those five years, and yes, they made more money 
when they did the IPO, but he looked like he was 70, he said. His health was destroyed. He didn't sleep. His hair turned gray, like the guy who was just the investor in addition to the private equity firm. And he was just enjoying all the money and looking young while the founder who had those owners and was going from meeting to meeting. And then what they call the dog and pony shows of the IPO to go to the different banks and uh, firms. Well, in the end, he had no more health. He was just done, destroyed. They sucked the life out of him in only five years because of this. Well, since you mentioned something about mental health, now please comment on that as well as what is your best advice for founders' mental health as well? Absolutely. So I, I can totally understand. I used to be into the, the grind and hustle culture as well. I would pull late nights, night after night. Sometimes I would do projects where I would do that for like two weeks at a time and then try to recover. Uh, and back then I didn't understand a lot of the neuroscience and the physical science that I understand today. And there, there's so much danger in doing that. Like burnout is one of those kind of things that most people tend to think is like a temporary thing, but I can assure you that burnout can be a very, very serious long-term problem for some people. What I highly recommend, um, and not just because I've had to learn all of these things as a byproduct of me recovering from a terminal status, but for anyone, really what it comes down to is if you want to be capable of performing at the highest level, then you need to take care of yourself. And there's, in my opinion, there's the foundation is your why. Why are you doing what you do every day? Now that could be your family. That could be you're trying to save the world, but whatever it may be, that should be your motivation for the rest of it. So why are you working so hard to ensure that you get good sleep? Because that's probably one of the first things you need to take care of. Dial in your sleep. Uh, why are you willing to push through those workouts or the hiking or whatever it is that you're doing physically to, to stay in shape? Uh, for some people, that's just a drudge. But for others, it's just like I'm doing this because it makes me healthy enough to serve others. Same with your nutrition. It's going to help you have that clarity of mind and have that energy. You have to con consider that your body is a thermal oven because it's really what it is. It's a skin-covered thermal oven, and the fuel types that you put into that are going to determine the output. So if you're filling your body with alcohol and sugar and this kind of stuff, you're going to feel sluggish. You're not going to sleep well. You're not going to perform well. You're not going to have that fuel that's going to really help you burst through and have lots of energy every day. Um, and then things like meditation or being able to just take breaks on a regular basis. Like I recommend depending on your workflow, but you know, every hour to 90 minutes, maybe give or take, take a break where you move, breathe, hydrate, stretch, and then some type of reset. Like you can close your eyes for a few moments or um, do some jumping jacks or something that will cause you to separate from what you were thinking about, uh, unless, of course, you want to jump right back into that thinking. Uh, nonetheless, I, I think that overall, whether you're focusing on just some of those things or all of it, it's really important to just be aware of the fact that how you treat your body 
is going to be a reflection of how your mind and body performs for you every day. And having a good sense of why you're doing this can be the fuel for all of that. Thank you. And, and it's very true. When I lost everything and then I couldn't even take care of myself and all I had as a motivation is knowing that, well, if I didn't succeed as soon as possible, the bills will come and then it's game over. So I didn't take care of myself, but I noticed that mistakes, I would make many more, even typos. I will send things to the wrong place. I was not performing well. It's like one hour that I used to do work when I had more of a mind. It will take me five. And therefore, even though I was working more, I'm less productive. And it's a horrible thing to do. And if anyone doesn't have a crisis situation where like you are a vet well in war you cannot say oh sorry i'm gonna sleep a few hours <laughs> today well only in such extreme situations you have to well pull through and be clutch as they say in basketball but otherwise mm-hmm. go for longevity not intensity i thank you for this and if people want to learn more about startup heroics to join your programs, to communicate with you, what are the best links? And I will make sure to write them in the description as well. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed this thoroughly and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, If you want to reach out to me, probably the easiest way uh, is just to find me on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Greg Zen. That's M-R-G-R-E-G-Z-E-N. And startupheroics.com is going through a major facelift right now. It's actually my capstone project in, on deck. So uh, there will be a whole new approach to what it looks like here in the coming weeks. You can, however, go there. The form is still uh, functional, and you can reach out to me using that form as well if you would like to uh, talk about mentorship or some type of uh, help for your startup. I'd be happy to point you in the right direction or do what I can for you. Um, other than that, you can also find me, I suppose, on uh, LinkedIn at uh, Greg Zen, uh, or I can be reached directly via my email at gregzen at startupheroics.com. Great. It was such a wonderful, wonderful time. It doesn't feel like 50 minutes, but it is. It felt like flow. And I wish you a brilliant day. I wish you three things always getting better in your health so that you never face that stage four or anything like it ever again. I wish you more distribution for your impact so that you can help a lot more people. And I wish you to indulge, but in a positive way, in philosophy, because philosophy means the love of wisdom and every single person I believe who will be listening and us as well we can consider ourselves philosophers because we love wisdom. And I thank you and I wish you a great day. Thank you very much. Mm